Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, does God really see everything? Well, 1 Samuel chapter 16, it marks a significant transition in the books of Samuel. But more than that, it begins one of the most extraordinary accounts in all of Scripture or any other literature. David's coming has been alluded to earlier in 1 Samuel, but now the sacred text turns directly to the story of Israel's great champion, poet, prophet, and king. Three millennia after David lived, his memory still burns brightly in the hearts and the minds of God's people, and his passion and his faith continue to inspire us today. Vestiges of David's story can be seen in in every noble myth beloved by Christendom, such as King Arthur and St. George, but no accolade could be higher than the one given by God himself. For when Israel's Messiah finally appeared, the the Savior was identified as God's own son, Romans 1-3 says, who descended from David according to the flesh. Now, if Samuel had been afraid to travel to Bethlehem, the men of Bethlehem were even more afraid to see him. This town was not on David's normal circuit. So 1 Samuel 16, 4 says, So the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And Samuel answered peaceably in 1 Samuel 16, 5. Why the elders were so frightened is not stated there, but though, although the arrival of so high and holy a figure as Samuel would, would provoke the fear of God in them for to considering that they might get rebuked by some sin. But Samuel explained that he had come to make a simple inspection and give the Lord's blessing. First Samuel 16.5 says, Consecrate yourselves, he said, and come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel next slaughtered the heifer he had brought and sacrificed it to the Lord. The meat would then be used for a feast which would take some time to prepare. And this allowed Samuel to perform the crucial task for which he had come. He asked to see the sons of Jesse consecrate themselves for the feast. And as the sons were presented to Samuel, the first, and we may presume the oldest, Eli was extremely impressive. And Samuel thought to him, surely the Lord's anointed is before me for in 1 Samuel 16, 6. And we can well imagine Samuel reaching for his anointing horn of oil when the Lord spoke to halt him. But the Lord in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16 says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And here the Lord rebukes the entire worldly approach to evaluation. This is your problem, he says to Samuel, that you only look at outward appearances. And this is why we today, we, we suffer from bad leadership. We, we consider only how someone appears, how impressive they are, the cultivation of an image, the, their education, the practice of clever saying, uh, the, the pandering to base motives, all of which the souls of this world are easily able to master. But you see, God 
in Scripture is not hampered by our limitations or even our follies. He looks on the heart. He sees the truth about us, about our heart, about our faith, about our values, about our desires, about how we are growing in the Lord. And because of his superior insight and wisdom, God wanted to be the one who provided Israel's king. This is why God wants to raise up leaders today in the church by his calling who meet his qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in that, to be clear, only a man can be a pastor or an elder. And when churches are approving leaders, we need to strictly follow that criteria given in the word of God, all of which are qualifications, are spiritual qualifications. Lacking our wisdom, we need to obey God's word. In doing so, we especially need to be warned against the impressiveness of external circumstances. How difficult it is for us to see through a carefully managed first impression, attractive clothes, or even the appearance of success. To follow the biblical guidelines, it's not easy. It takes time. It takes discernment to assess character, values, true beliefs. We need to pray for the help of God and for the wisdom of God. And we need to seek to look upon the hearts. And having been rebuked by the Lord, Samuel passed from Jesse's first son to the next. Abinadab was sent forth and also rejected. And next came Shammah. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. In verse 9 of 1 Samuel 16 says, And although the seven sons of Jesse <coughs> came before the prophet, to which Samuel replied, The Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are all your sons here in 1 Samuel 16, 11. After all, God had told him to anoint one of Jesse's sons. None of them would gain approval. So we can accept, we can sense here the reluctance to Jesse's demeanor when he admits there is yet one more son, uh, saying this, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. Samuel knew how to motivate action. And the company would not get to eat until the youngest son had been fetched and brought before the prophet. Dale Ralph Davis points out that what happens next is the stuff songs are made of. In comes David, fresh from the fields, unwashed, still smelling of the sheep. Our text tells us that he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And as soon as he appeared, the Lord spoke to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he, in verse 12. And verse 13 tells us, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, in the most unlikely, in the most humble place God had found the king of his chosen, the youth whom God himself had fashioned for his purpose and his grace. The anointing of David marked a significant advance in the, in the, in the God's redeeming plan for history, and moreover, it pointed forward to the greatest advancement in God's salvation, which would come with the entry of his own son, Jesus. Of all the types of Christ in the Old Testament, that is, the people, the events, the institutions intended to foreshadow the coming of Christ, David is the greatest and the clearest. Jesus is known as the son of David, was originally intended as a compliment to Jesus, although we see it as an instance of amazing grace to David from our vantage point. And the selection of David, it points forward to several features that draw us to faith in Christ. 
Jesus was not distinguished by his outward attractions. He didn't conduct himself to appeal to the fads, the fashions of of the day in Jerusalem. He he did not take the expected route of, of first attaining the approval of the religious power brokers. He did not set out to win over the people by flashy eloquence or studied expression. Even while Jesus performed miracles that set forth his divine power, he accompanied them with teaching that confounded the wisdom of the age. And though indeed profound, his, his oratory was directed to the deeper matters of the heart and the stirring realities of God himself. And most importantly, Jesus came to obey the will of his Father. He did not receive the accolades of the world, and, and for the same reason he did not receive the power of God's Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.17 says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God said on the occasion when the Spirit fell on Jesus like a dove. After all, Jesus was the Savior whom God himself provided for his people, who brings the salvation that comes from God and restores and reconciles us to God's favor. And as we honor Jesus, as we trust his word, let us follow his example. Let us believe and do his will by his grace. We may lack the approval of the world. We may be denied the world's method of advancement and success. But if we have the Holy Spirit, then God will see in our hearts those things that cause him pleasure and prepare us to be useful for him. And if, like Samuel, we are downcast and defeated by the influence of indwelling sin and and sin itself and darkness around us, perhaps thinking all is lost, God has good news to lift our hearts, to challenge us to renew boldness and faith in Christ alone. And speaking of his own son, of whom even uh, great David was but a type and a symbol, God says in 1 Samuel 16, what I have provided for myself a king. And believing in Jesus, our, our true king, we may be uplifted in spirit, renewed in faith to serve him boldly in this world for his glory. So you see, God really does see everything. He, he sees our hearts. He sees us. He, he knows us. And that should cause us, that should cause us to repent, to, to see ourselves rightly before his face as his followers to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of the Lord. Or, or, and, and to understand, as, as Calvin did, as Augustine did, that the Christian life is humility, humility, humility. And as we, we understand that, that God is, and that we are made in his likeness, in his image, and we are fellow image bearers, and we are even owned by virtue of him being the creator and him being the Lord who saves us. We are doubly owned by God, and we are, that means that we are doubly accountable by God, and God sees, and God knows, and we cannot fool God. God is not hampered by our limitations or our follies. He looks on the heart, and he sees the truth about us, about our character, about our values, about our desires. So let us Turn and trust in the only one who can provide pardon and forgiveness. If, if you've never repented and trusted in Christ, I urge you on the basis of Acts 16.31 to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. If you are a follower of Christ, I urge you to consider 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness because 1 John 2, 1-2 tell us, Jesus is our advocate before the Father. And we can go to him. Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 14-16 tells us we have one before the throne. 
that summons us, but to his throne of grace. So let us, as his followers, as his disciples, let us go to his throne of grace. And there, tell, tell him about our cares, tell him about our burdens, tell him about our fears. Our Lord, our Savior, he sees us and he knows us. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.